This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney. Our guest is Jill Watecki from Tampa Theater. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Deacon Mike. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. Tampa Theater is one of the coolest theaters I have ever been in in my life. (laughs) I don't disagree. How long have you been there? I am coming up on my 11th anniversary working full-time for Tampa Theater, but I have been a volunteer there, a patron there, a fan of uh, since I moved to Tampa back in 1990. Tell us a little bit about the history of Tampa Theater. I know it dates back. You're coming up on 100 years, right? We are. We opened our doors on October 15th. 1926. So we are full steam ahead towards our 100th anniversary here in 2026 and starting to look forward to the second century of Tampa Theater and figuring out what that looks like. What were shows like back in the day? When Tampa Theater opened, we were actually a silent movie palace. So when you would come to a film at Tampa Theater, you would be treated to a 17-piece orchestra that was accompanying those films, or depending on what day of the week and what time of the show, our mighty Wurlitzer Theater organ that is still part of the building to this day. Can you describe some of the growth that has happened over the years and has the footprint of the theater grown as well? Tampa Theater is uniquely situated in that if you draw a circle around downtown Tampa and put a pin right in the middle, you are sitting on 711 Franklin Street, the Tampa Theater. So we've had a unique perspective of watching all of the changes that have happened over the past century to downtown Tampa, from Franklin Street being the main thoroughfare and full of sidewalk cafes and streetcars, to some times in the 60s and 70s where downtown really saw kind of a low point as far as businesses leaving and residents not calling downtown Tampa home. But in the last 11 years since I've been there, we have seen incredible growth in downtown Tampa. We're seeing people and their dogs on the sidewalks, which tells us that people are living there again and they're making their home and making their business and their life in those few blocks that surround the downtown area. So Tampa Theater, as our CEO likes to joke, has been through the Great Depression, World War II, all seven police academy movies, now a national, international pandemic and is looking ahead to brighter days. How about the Rocky movies? Well, we saw all of those too, but those weren't quite as painful. (laughs) I think they're up to like Rocky 455 or something (laughs) at at this point. Tampa Theater is in a pretty tall building in downtown. How many stories? Well, the office tower above the lobby is 10 stories, and that was all part of the original construction of the building back in 1926. And since then, those have been turned into office condos. So actually, each floor has a different owner. Tampa Theater owns, of course, the lobby and then the second floor, which is where most of our offices are. And then above us, we have lawyers. We have an amazing music distribution group up there. There's an auto group, a couple of other companies, all inhabiting those floors above. But then the auditorium is actually a second parcel. If you look at Tampa Theater from the sky, it's really interesting how the land was put together Because again, back in the 20s, Franklin Street was a big deal. And so real estate on Franklin Street came with a big price tag. But the other side of the block, that Florida Avenue side, not as much so. So the architect, John Eberson, that was putting this project together and the folks who were working the land deals bought a small portion of Franklin Street and built this 10-story office tower. 
and then a quarter of the block on the backside of the block where the real estate was cheaper, and that's where the auditorium sits. So that auditorium parcel is actually only three stories tall, but then that front tower is what people remember. I'm wondering if when the theater was built, 1926, What was life like? Because I seem to remember a church up where I'm from in New York. A theater came into a neighborhood around that time frame, and the church, block by block, moved. Like, literally, they tore the church down and moved it several blocks away because (laughs) there was a theater that was going to be opening up nearby. Okay. So were there similar issues with the city or with residents when Tampa Theater opened its doors? Well, I can't tell you if a church had to move for it. I've never seen pictures of that. But I will tell you that in the late teens and early 20s, buildings like Tampa Theater, which is actually designated as a movie palace. So you had movie theaters and they were great and showed movies. But movie palaces were actually a distinct style of architecture and has to do with not only the ornate, over-the-top opulence of the building, but also with who was funding them. So I know you hail from up north just like I do. So have you ever lived in or visited a city that has a Fox Theater in it or a Paramount Theater in it? I grew up in St. Louis and we had the fabulous Fox in St. Louis, which was also a movie palace. And the reason some of those movie palaces have the same name as the motion picture distributors is because that's who was paying for them. So we were actually built with Paramount money. We've always been called the Tampa, but we were built with Paramount money. And so these major motion picture studios around the turn of the century were competing not only to put out the biggest and best movies, but they were competing to build these beautiful movie palaces to show their own movies in. So it wasn't uncommon in a city even the size of Tampa back then to have multiple movie theaters, each of which was beholden to a different studio. So for us, when Paramount came out with a new movie, we would show the new Paramount movie. But if you wanted to see the new MGM movie, the new Fox movie, you had to go to a different theater. So we actually have advertisements back from the 20s after we first opened that have six and seven different theaters in Tampa listed that all were showing different movies, but were all managed by a common management company that happened to be called Publix Theaters. Really? (laughs) And there's a great story about how after that company folded due to changes in the industry, there was a young grocer in Lakeland who kind of liked the name and started picking it up. Oh, wow. What is it like running movies? I'm sure it's much more complicated than just buying a movie, throwing it in the projector. I mean, you have to deal with copyrights and things like that now, right? It's funny because we talk about being a typical movie theater in a completely atypical building. We are running a modern cinema in a hundred-year-old building. And so the technical challenges are a daily occurrence. But the actual process of booking and showing a movie, you're right. It's not just buying the DVD and throwing it in the player. It's not just dialing up whatever we want to see on Amazon or Netflix and putting it on the screen. We actually work with a film booker out in California. And she books for about half a dozen screens, just like us, across the country. So there's a little bit of buying power there because she has multiple clients. But she's the one who kind of keeps her finger on the pulse and sees what's coming down the pike, what is available to us, what works with our calendar, because not only do we show movies, but we also do some live shows. And so those shows are already peppering the calendar, and then we have to fit the movies in in between. Her name is Jan, and it's Jan's job to kind of be the air traffic controller for us. 
But then once we find that film that's going to fit with the dates that we have, she's the one who goes back to the distributor and negotiates that deal. And then on our end, it's usually a percentage. There is some kind of guarantee and then a percentage of the box office. So if you've ever heard that kind of old wives tale that movie theaters make their money from concessions, not from movies, it really is true because most of the money that comes in from those tickets goes back to the distributor. And most of the money that stays right here at Tampa Theater is coming from popcorn and soda. We're talking with Jill Watecki from Tampa Theater. Talk a little bit about the staff because I know it's a small staff and a lot of volunteers. It is. We are so lucky to have, I think, one of the most passionate and dedicated teams of any organization I've ever worked with. Our full-time team is between 12 and 13 people, although we're adding a couple of positions right now, so we're starting to grow a little bit. Our CEO, I will quote him often because he has some great words of wisdom, and one of those is that passion bends reality. And I think knowing what you do for a living, what I do for a living, we feel that same thing, that passion does bend reality. Because on paper, there is no reason to work for a nonprofit. There is no reason to work evenings and weekends and crazy hours and take your laptop home at night to get more done unless you truly love and believe in what you're doing. And that's the kind of passion that permeates the team at Tampa Theater. We are a nonprofit organization. We're community supported. And the love that we see from our community for that building and the programming we do is the energizer bunny energy that keeps us all going and working as hard as we do to preserve and protect this incredible building and the incredible place in Tampa history that it represents, making sure that, again, 100 years from now, the Jill of the future and the Deacon Mike of the future are sitting here talking about the past 200 years of Tampa Theater's history. I've had the pleasure of actually playing the mighty Wurlitzer, the organ, grand pipe organ of the theater. And I have to share a story. I was practicing one day and I was the only person in the building, to my knowledge, And if you're looking at the stage, the organ is on the left side of the stage, and about 10 feet above my head, I heard footsteps (laughs) in the wall, and it freaked me right out. Now, I know the acoustics in that building are a little weird, and that sound from the lobby can travel in and bounce off of walls and everything, but ease my fears. What was I hearing that day? (laughs) Well, it's perfectly possible that you are hearing our stage manager, Lloyd, walking around checking the pipes in the organ chambers. It is equally possible that you are hearing one of the many ghosts that we believe Tampa Theater has and that we like to talk about, especially around Halloween. You're serious. Tampa Theater is regarded as one of the most haunted buildings in Tampa. I'm never going back. (laughs) (laughs) The good news is, though, that we think we know who most of them are, and most of them are former employees. That through one way or another, we've actually only ever had one person die in the building, And that was one of our ticket takers back in 1959, Robert Lanier. But we also have a projectionist that spent 35 years of his career there that we believe is still hanging around. And a couple of other entities that we like to talk about on our ghost tours around Halloween. But to the best of our knowledge, all of them are very friendly. All of them want to be there. And all of them are there because they love Tampa Theater just as much as we do. Yeah, I I no longer love it. I'm never going back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not playing there again. I'm kidding. Okay, so talk about some of the expansion that Tampa Theater is going through right now. And fundraising and upgrades and everything seems to always be part of Tampa Theater. So discuss that a little bit. Well, you know, like I said, we are a community-supported organization 
And never has that been brought into sharper focus than over the past several years. Back in 2016, 2017, we underwent a $6 million fundraising campaign to address some critical issues in the building, water mitigation in the basement. Yes, we have a basement in the middle Mm -hmm. of downtown Tampa, which means we had water issues and water seeping in behind our plaster walls. We have original infrastructure through a lot of the building, original power, original plumbing that dates back to 1926. And so some of those infrastructure systems were getting to the point that they had to be addressed. They had to be modernized. So all of that work or a lot of that work happened back in 2016 and 17. We were also able to restore all of the paint and plaster in our lobby. So when you walk into the lobby now, it looks just like 1926, as close as we could possibly get. So it was a great project. We met with wonderful success, a lot of support from the community. And then in 2019, we announced the first major expansion project in Tampa theater history. We have had the same footprint for almost 100 years. And in 2019, we announced the addition of a second screen, a little second screening room with 47 seats that we've been calling T2 as a nickname. Well, we announced it in 2019 with the intent of opening it in October of 2020. And of course, you can imagine exactly how that went. Yeah, COVID. Um, COVID said no. COVID said no. And that meant that the project went on pause. Some of the funding fell out from under it. After COVID started to pass, the funding came back. But by then, construction costs had skyrocketed. So our little $1.5 million project was now a $5 million project. So we had to make sure that the project still made sense for Tampa Theater, still made sense for the donors supporting it. We are back on track now. In fact, they are working on demolition of that space, which means the floor of my office has been moving and vibrating and banging and thumping and grinding for about the past week and a half. But over the next several months, they are going to turn this into this beautiful little acoustically perfect perfect sight lines, micro cinema. And what that's going to do for us is completely change the business model at Tampa Theater. For the first time, we're going to have flexibility that when we have one of those big concerts coming in, wanting the 1200 seat hall, we're going to be able to say yes to that. But we're also going to be able to say yes to that movie that wants a clean, uninterrupted week long run because we'll be able to bounce it back and forth between the two screens. So we are in the process of that construction, but also gearing up for our next major restoration project. Because again, that 100th anniversary is coming up in 2026, and we want to make sure that Tampa Theater is fully restored, ready to meet its second century when we hit that 100-year mark. So right now, that's looking like about a $25 million project. We're looking to not only raise that, and we've had some great success with a gift from the Tampa CRA that some people may have heard about, an appropriation from the state of Florida in this year's budget, and then some wonderful community supporters that are starting to line up behind this project. So here's to the next 100 years. You're talking about refurbishment, but when you walk into Tampa Theater, you're not seeing a lot of what's going on. That's a lot of the behind the scenes So when you see the theater, if you've never been to the inside of the theater, it is still going to knock your socks off. Tampa Theater is stunning. In fact, one of my favorite things about my job is giving tours and especially seeing the looks on the faces 
of these new people who have never seen the building before when they walk into this stunning 1,200-seat auditorium that looks like you're in a Mediterranean courtyard at night. That was intentional on our architect's part. He called his style the atmospheric. And what he wanted to do, according to his writings, is bring the exotic adventures of the screen off the screen and surround his audiences with that feeling. So he wanted the moment you stepped off the sidewalk of Franklin Street and stepped into that air-conditioned auditorium, because we actually were air-conditioned on day one. We were the first commercially air-conditioned building in Tampa. He wanted it to feel like you had stepped into another place in time. So we like to say he was building themed attractions in Central Florida long before any of the other people that built themed attractions in Central Florida got here. He was creating this place where you were stepping back in time, stepping into another land, and at that point, for the cost of 25 cents. It was the kind of experience that most people in Tampa had never imagined before in 1926. But when you step into that auditorium, yes, you'll see this domed sky above you with little stars. You'll see rooftops and statues and birds and vines that, again, make it feel like you are stepping into this beautiful courtyard with the stars above you. And that's where you start your Tampa theater experience, whatever's going to happen on the stage and screen after that. In just a couple of minutes left here, tell us how somebody can get involved as a volunteer at Tampa Theater, and how do we learn more information? We are always looking for new volunteers. We rely on our volunteers to help us with live shows, help us with tours, help us set up for events, and we can reward them in tickets and as much popcorn as they can possibly eat. I'm back. <laughs> you got me back. That's what it took. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a bag ready on the organ the next time you're there. But you just go to our website, tampatheater.org, because, again, we are a nonprofit.org, and look under Support Tampa Theater. You will find a link for volunteering, gives you all of the information, the volunteer handbook to look at, and then the link to sign up for ShiftBoard, which is our scheduling software for all of our volunteers. But past that, the best way to get involved at Tampa Theater, if you've never been there, buy a ticket. Come see one of our movies. We have brand new movies. We have classic movies. We've got our holiday classics coming up, which was one of the most time-honored series that we do. When we take all of those beloved movies like It's a Wonderful Life and White Christmas and Miracle on 34th Street and put them back up on the big screen. In fact, we've tried to change the lineup for Christmas classics before, and we did some new movies. We mixed it up a little bit. And we got so many phone calls from people saying, how dare you not show White Christmas this year? We've been coming every year for decades. Yeah. So now we don't touch it. It's nearly the same movies every year because that's what people told us that they want. But just buy a ticket. Come see one of our movies. Come see one of our shows. Come on one of our tours and hear the entire history of the building, why it looks like it does, why it's still there, and why Tampa thinks that Tampa Theater is so special. It really is a special place. Our guest today is Jill Watecki from Tampa Theater. You can check out Tampa Theater at tampatheater.org. And this is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney. Our guest is Michelle Taylor. Michelle is Associate Director of Communications from the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops. First of all, Michelle, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We're glad to have you with us. Tell us what the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops is. 
The Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops is the nonpartisan public policy voice of the bishops of Florida. We represent the bishops of the seven dioceses here in our state. And really, we serve as a unified voice on behalf of the bishops before our state government. So whether that's the legislative, executive, or judicial branches of our state government here in Florida. How does it work? You say you're unified, but are there times where the bishops don't agree on a particular issue? There is really a lot of agreement between the bishops when it comes to the type of issues we're dealing with. We're dealing with life and dignity. We're dealing with social justice. We're dealing with health and education. And the bishops really see things the same way as far as protecting that sanctity of human life and promoting human dignity and the common good. One of the big issues that we're dealing with now is there is a pretty terrible petition being circulated. Can you tell us about this petition? Right. There is an extremely grave initiative underway that seeks to amend the Florida Constitution to prohibit any laws restricting and regulating abortion, not just in the early stages of a pregnancy, but really by including a broad exception for the health of the mother, essentially would legalize abortion at any point in the pregnancy when the baby feels pain, and even up to the moment of birth. What do you say to somebody who might be given this petition to sign and their take is sort of, well, you know, this is a democracy and this is just putting it on the ballot? Well, we would definitely tell them not to sign the petition. And that's really what we've been doing through what we call our decline to sign messaging. The amendment, it may appear reasonable if you are someone who does support or is okay with abortion, but it is really an extreme measure that would not allow any regulation of abortion, even would erase efforts that have already been made, including parental consent for abortion, if a minor seeks abortion, 24-hour waiting period, or even reasonable medical standards that protect women who do seek an abortion. A lot of times the petition gatherers, they are the group who is behind this effort. They're calling themselves Floridians Protecting Freedom. And it's really a group of pro-abortion organization and activists. And they have hired petition gatherers who we've heard some reports that uh, those gatherers are not being really forthcoming and really misleading people about the true subject of the amendment. I'm saying it's just about women's health and not even mentioning abortion. That's the problem. When you're dealing with an issue that politicians have taken over, spin is involved. So the bottom line here is no one should sign this petition. That's right. No one should sign it. I mean, of course, the church recognizes the sanctity of all human life and that all children should be protected from the grave evil of abortion from the moment of conception. You know, we hope that and we pray that Floridians are with us on that. But even if you, like I had mentioned earlier, even if you are someone who does support abortion at some stages of pregnancy, you still don't want to sign this because it would allow no regulations on abortion at any point in the pregnancy. And it also takes abortion out of the hands of a doctor and allows, is it nurse practitioners? Correct, correct. So it has a very broad exception for health of the mother for abortions in the later stages of pregnancy. But the term health itself is very broad, and it could mean physical health, mental health, or anything. It's just whatever the woman seeking the abortion and the healthcare provider decide. 
It could be something very minor as far as the woman's health. And then also healthcare provider does not require a medical doctor or a physician. It could be any type of healthcare provider, even someone who works at the abortion clinic. All right. So do not sign this petition. And can you get more information from the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops website? Yes, there is more information about the effort on our website, which is flaccb.org. And we have information about the decline to sign campaign. We have shared that information with the dioceses and parishes throughout the state in hopes that they will share that with their parishioners. Michelle, can you tell us about some of the other issues that the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops pushes for, including life and education and healthcare and things like that? How does a Florida conference get involved? Well, we cover a broad range of issues. Anytime that human life and dignity is threatened by our laws or in our culture, the church is going to want to be there. The bishops are going to want to weigh in on that. And we're going to want to propose solutions to that, to those threats. We never impose anything. We really just offer solutions that are going to better protect life and dignity. And some of the issues, of course, we are involved in is, of course, the issue of abortion. You know, this is a grave evil. It's a preeminent issue for the bishops. In addition, we some of our other life issues, because we talk about life from the entire spectrum of life from conception to natural death. And so we're also active on the issue of the death penalty. We support ending the death penalty in our state and really with all laws, even with abortion, when you can't end a law so that life is fully protected, we do support incremental improvements in the law. So with abortion, it may be something like limiting the period in the pregnancy when abortion can be obtained. And with the death penalty, it could be promoting laws that would disallow someone who has a severe mental illness from receiving the death penalty. Florida seems to be doing the opposite, though. On the state level, they seem to be expanding the reasons why you can allow the death penalty. Right. That is true. There were some laws passed this last session earlier in the year that did expand use of the death penalty. And also, we had a unanimous jury requirement for the sentencing phase for the death penalty. And that was changed so that a unanimous jury is no longer required to sentence someone to death. So that one holdout that could spare a life is no longer needed. Right, right. That was changed to an 8-4 requirement. So only eight of the jurors need to vote in favor of the death penalty for someone to receive it. I have received some communications from, I believe, your office about specifically that issue. And I've seen where Florida is executing people that suffer from childhood experiences and clearly they should spend the rest of their lives in prison. But it's a little scary that we're willing to execute people who really suffered a lot of trauma as children. Yeah, a lot of the most recent individuals who have been executed have just suffered tremendous harm in their life, mainly as children. They were abused as children. They had severe brain injuries, fetal alcohol syndrome. And it's sad to see that the the death penalty really, when we execute someone, we're just perpetuating that cycle of violence in our society. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't bring the victims back. And it's just a terrible way to teach that killing is wrong 
by killing and in our names. When an execution is, is carried out, it's done in the names of the people of Florida. We just don't agree with that. And there's a lot of Floridians that do not agree with that. We're talking with Michelle Taylor from the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops. Michelle, how can people learn more about the various issues that the bishops are fighting for? Well, we have um, what's called the Florida Catholic Advocacy Network, and this is an electronic network that individuals can sign up for with their email on our website. And what it is, is basically emails that we send out, newsletters that keep people informed on these issues, what's happening at the state level on issues of human life and dignity. And it allows the opportunity to take action, to send emails to your elected officials, to urge them to either support bills or to oppose those that would threaten human life and dignity or the common good. And it's very easy because I actually do receive occasional emails and you just put in your name and it's already written for you and you click a few buttons and boom, it's done. Exactly. It's very easy. Our system, based on the address of the individual, will match that person up with their lawmakers, with the appropriate district and their elected officials. And so it does that for you at just a couple clicks of the mouse and a message gets sent. Okay. Michelle, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Our guest has been Michelle Taylor from the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops. And this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash howwesee it. <music>